Hi everyone, just a quick message before we start today's episode. The generosity of our members and friends is life-changing for young investigators, lung patients, and patient families. Donations made to the ATS will help to support our mission to fund emerging investigators in cutting-edge research, sustain education and public health initiatives, and reduce health disparities to advance worldwide respiratory health. If you would like to make a contribution to the ATS to help support our mission, please visit thoracic.org go slash donate. That's thoracic.org go slash donate. This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is Moore Soller, and today I'm joined by Dr. Tatiana Akamova and Dr. Wayne Hancock, who are the authors of today's article for discussion, Obesity-Related IL-18 Impairs T-Reg Function and Promotes Lung Ischemia Reproduction Injury. Dr. Tatiana Akamova is Assistant Professor of Pathology and Lab Medicine at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, and Dr. Hancock is Professor of Pathology and Lab Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, as well as the Chief of the Division of Transplant Immunology at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Thank you, both of you, for joining us today. Hey. So um, I thought maybe what we can do is start out and briefly discuss what uh, primary graft dysfunction in the lung is for our uh, listening audience. Okay, let me let me start with that one then. Um, most forms of transplantation, uh, w- when they're performed, can in the very early post-transplant period experience non-function or poor function, often referred to as ischemic reperfusion injury. And each of the organs we think about has their own nomenclature. We talk about delayed graft function, for example, for a kidney transplant. In the case of the lung, they swap it around a bit and call it primary graft dysfunction. And it's a condition where the patient's uh, lungs aren't working properly despite the transplant in the first up to 72 hours post-transplant. They end up in the ICU. They're very sick. can affect about uh, up to well, 15 to 30% of uh, people. In our series, even, even higher. And um, it, it's a problem because of the associated morbidity and uh, mortality. Perhaps 20% of those patients may actually uh, die from this during this process. So it's really a, a form of lung ischemic reperfusion injury, which especially early on is characterized by innate immune activation. And then towards the, the latter part of the process, adaptive immunity kicks in. So there's a lot of different cytokines and chemokines and inflammatory mediators floating around, but damaging the lung and preventing oxygenation and uh, hence the patients uh, likely on a ventilator and may be subject to significant uh, other injuries as well. And and so, you know, what do we know about the risk factors uh, for primary graft dysfunction and and how did that inform your hypothesis for for this manuscript? Um, There are two groups of risk factors and uh, donor-related factors and recipient-related factors. In our paper, we didn't touch any donor-related issue, but it may be uh, one long time of um, ischemia. Uh, It may be uh, uh, donor age and uh, some morbidity, a certain disease. But from recipient uh, side, there are separate set of factors. Uh, some of them pretty well known, like it's bad to be female, worse to be female. Uh, some of them still kind of not precisely a setup. And uh, 
I would advise to read review for this uh, for this factor, ischemia perfusion, um, because uh, it's still open to question how many factors we should include from recipient side. But yes, within these factors, obesity is one of the known player that obese people have more often ischemia perfusion, and if they have it, uh, if uh, obese recipient get uh, lung transplant, it may be worse uh, in terms of uh, severity. And 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 you know we're going to get into this a little bit in a little bit, but um, I know there's a lot of discussion in your paper about the association between obesity and inflammation. And so I thought perhaps you can just tell the audience about uh, that association and, and, and you know, how it sort of formed your, your viewpoint of the, of the topic. Okay, so the classical overview uh, of obesity right now from immunology perspective is that obesity is low-grade chronic inflammation. Why it is low-grade? Low because we usually don't see any uh, factors that we will see in acute uh, inflammation. We don't have high level of C-reactive peptide. We don't have uh, high uh, you know, temperature and uh, all these acute proteins uh, that usually have been described. But if we look for more sensitive factors that may be inflammatory cytokines, that may be activation of T cells and myeloid cells, uh, you can see multiple signs of low-grade activation and corresponding inflammation level. So right now, most uh, the general idea is that yes, obesity is a, is a low-grade inflammation. But interestingly that uh, if you read literature, vast majority of mouse model of obesity describe them like, okay, we have high fat diet, we provoke obesity, we have inflammation with no additional variation. And when we started to work with obesity in mice, we found that it's not true. Some mice actually develop uh, uh, chronic inflammation and they finally go to papers and publish it and report it. But some mice, they became obese, but stay healthy. And that was the beginning of our study that uh, started nine years ago when we uh, started to get um, obese mice and uh, everything was as supposed to be according to papers. But then we get group of mice that had high level obesity, very fat, with no inflammation whatsoever. And initially we thought it may be some kind of mistake or error or problem with these mice. And we try to reproduce again and again obesity phenotype in these mice by using like multiple approach. You can read some of them in supplementary material. And we were unable to reproduce uh, uh, inflammation on obesity. So then it was a very interesting question. Okay, we know that some people also became obese, but they don't develop much problem related with obesity. They don't have uh, increased level of heart disease. They don't have atherosclerosis. They really like obese, but healthy. So now we have unique mice, obese but healthy mice. And the main question was, what differ of these obese but healthy mice from obese and normally, as we su suggest, sick mice? And that's how this study started. And so walk me through some of those early experiments and, and what you were finding uh, in the context of the primary graft dysfunction. Early experiments, they were not related with primary graft dysfunction. All early experiments were related only with obese uh, mice when we had two different phenotypes, obese healthy mice and obese inflammatory mice. And we spent years trying to understand what is the difference between these mice, how we can reproduce one phenotype or another phenotype, because it was clear clinical significance of that. If we can reproduce it in mice in that case, we can get 
something that help people to stay healthy, even if they are overweight or obese, that will be great. So, and that was the set of experiments when we found that only one cytokine differ very much between uh, these two group of mice. That was IL-18. So tell me a little about IL-18 and what you started to find in your experiments about IL-18 and what it might be doing. Um, IL-18 is uh, a cytokine that has been studied more in the current era or in recent years than in the past. Uh, but it's really in the IL-1 uh, family, superfamily, and it's produced by a lot of different cells. Uh, myeloid cells can be produced by cells in the gut, uh, can be induced by gamma interferon, type 1 interferon. A lot of cell types can pump out IL-18, uh, and it signals um, through an IL-18 receptor. It can activate uh, the innate immune system through that mechanism, and its levels are in part regulated by uh, a circulating protein called IL-18 binding pep peptide. So you've got a sort of a scenario common in immunology where you've got a, re a receptor and a ligand, but also a circulating receptor, which complicates things a little more. And so I think, you know, I, what you probably were starting to find is that you had obesity as this risk factor for primary graft dysfunction, that obesity was associated with this activation of this innate immune response, specifically the NLRP3 inflammasome, and perhaps this upregulation of IL-18. And so then, you know, tell me about what happened in your paper and what you started to find in terms of IL-18 in the primary graft dysfunction models in the mouse. Okay, so when we found that IL-18 was only one serious differences, uh, difference between obese and healthy versus obese but inflammatory mice, that we uh, went into the idea that what effect of IL-18 uh, we can reproduce, observe, in the mice. So again, all this stuff started initially with uh, mouse data. And direct experiments show that uh, regulatory T cells, when they, when they incubated in presence of IL-10, they lose TREC suppressive function. And from now, I guess it's important to uh, say about TREC. Yeah, let's, let's tell the audience what the what TREGs are and, and what, they might, what they do. So some people characterize the TREG as a, a policeman in the body, in the sense that they go around and try and turn off inflammation and, and overactive immune responses. So there are physiologic subpopulation of T cells. They come out of the thymus. They make up say 5% or so of your CD4 T cells, circulate through the body and are constantly monitoring uh, for evidence of inflammation or ongoing immune events. And they'll act to try and switch them off. Their levels are regulated. Uh, if you're born without them, you're, you're not able to survive. You develop lethal autoimmunity and if you have less uh, extreme mutations in some of the key genes of Tregs, you have lesser impairment, but still problems long-term. Uh, this population of cells uh, functions by maybe 20 or more different mechanisms, and they include uh, competition for uh, resources. In other words, they bind interleukin-2 avidly and compete uh, with T cells uh, for interleukin-2. They produce some cytokines which are suppressive, like IL-10, maybe IL-35, they compete for metabolic products as well. And they have membrane expression of molecules like CTLA-4, which also help inhibit T cells. So if you have models where Tregs are introduced into them, they tend to dampen down and revert the individual or the animal, depending upon the case, back to a quiescent state. So they're trying to maintain immune homeostasis, but they get their nasty little fingers into lots of other things besides immunologic events, 
These days, they've been implicated in regulation of blood pressure, uh, fertility, a whole lot of different areas that we don't normally think of of the immune system necessarily playing a, an important role. So you, you told us how important uh, these Treg cells are for homeostasis. Uh, what did you find was happening with the IL-18 in the obese mice and its effect on, on Tregs? Yes, so we found that obese mice, which have inflammatory cytokine, uh, inflammatory um, phenotype, they do have decreased Treg suppressive function. And direct experiment prove uh, that IL-10 is the reason for decreased Treg suppressive function. So that's mouse part of the story. Uh, while we were working on, on mice in obesity and IL-10, we started clinical project with a lung transplant patient. And the idea was to collect pre-transplant blood at time of um, when this patient listed for lung transplant and uh, check for uh, multiple immune factors that may be important for prediction whether this patient have a risk of primary graft dysfunction or not. We were concentrated only on immune system and the main focus was about TREC. We wanted to check whether we have any difference in TREC number or phenotype or function in patient pre-transplant uh, to predict that this patient developed PGD or not. Okay, so we knew in parallel already the story of obesity and IL-10, and we started TREC suppressive uh, function and evaluation of TREC in uh, pre-transplant uh, clinical samples. Uh, overall, we had uh, 12 weeks from the, st uh, from the evaluation of blood uh, until uh, lung transplant happened. So that's like very long uh, period. And you can guess that everything that uh, has acute nature, it's like too long time to, uh, to serve as predictor factors. So it was challenge, but at the same time uh, it worked. So we found that um, primary graph dysfunction uh, related with uh, patient obesity presence of statin therapy and suppressive function. And statins was a separate story that created some complication because a vast majority of uh, patients who had statin therapy, they also were obese. So that was hard to you know, figure out between this uh, confounding effect. But overall, uh, we found that being obese and have suppressive function decreased. That's the main risk factors for from a recipient side to develop primary graft dysfunction. So you had evidence in humans that Treg function, a decreased Treg function was a risk factor, and obesity was a risk factor, and you also have evidence in the mouse model that IL-18 was suppressing the Treg functions. What are some of the things that IL-18 was doing to the Treg to suppress their function? So first of all, IL-18 is very well known to affect myeloid cells. Uh, but nobody knew, uh, first of all, I needed to show, uh, to prove that uh, TREC actually able to, uh, you know, react on IL-10. So first series of experiments, I proved that uh, TREC have IL-10 receptor, that this receptor reacts to IL-10. And then we proved that uh, within TREC, there is the same mechanism as in myeloid cells. This exactly the same pathway that get activated in presence of IL-10. So the signal from altin receptor through additional uh, molecules goes to downstream to activate MID88, which is classical myeloid cell uh, pathway. And there is a huge molecular complexes with additional players. And you can see figure three in my paper with uh, you know, all these details. Uh, but what was unexpected is that uh, FOXP3, the main 
key regulator, uh, regulator of tyroxypressive function was also affected and involved in this downstream pathway. So on a certain stage, uh, when we had uh, down, um, activation of MID88 pathway uh, by Altin, it turned out to be that a good uh, modification of FOXP3 protein decreased, while bad modification of FOXP3 protein increased. And good modification here, we found that ubiquit ubiquitination. So ubiquitin is a separate story, epigenetic regulation of different type of molecules. Uh, and FOXP3 protein has two different, uh, two opposite um, type of uh, ubiquitination. Positive ubiquitination keep FOXP3 working and protected from uh, protosome degradation, while negative ubiquitination goes to uh, let FOXP3 protein dissociate from uh, working complexes, dissociate from um, uh, dimer uh, form to um, single form, from oligos and dimers to uh, single protein, and finally decrease FOXP3 level by protosome degradation. So all this stuff we found on molecular level in primary TREC, and that was very challenging experiment as well because we needed to apply very uh, unusual modern technology uh, to be able to do it. There were not uh, ex vivo converted TREACs, there were not cell lines that you know transduce with special protein of interest, but there were real uh, primary human cells. And so, and so after working through the mechanism through which IL-18 was suppressing Treg function, uh, you then performed some nice experiments in mouse models to sort of uh, prove that this was having an effect. And so could you discuss those? Yes. And so for mouse experiment, that was another interesting challenge because uh, Treg are very well known for like 20, 25 years uh, in immunology. And uh, there are a ton of papers saying how exactly Treg suppressed T cells. Some papers saying how TREC suppress B cells. But in our case, we know that primary graph dysfunction mostly from the innate immunity. And there is no much paper around saying that TREC even able to control uh, native immunity uh, uh, activation. So our first, quest, uh, our first challenge was to prove that in mice, uh, which has no secondary immune system, no T cells, no B cells, only innate immunity, uh, we made model of lung ischemic perfusion, which is the model, um, mirroring model of primary guard dysfunction. We proved that TREC able to directly suppress primary guard dysfunction in this model. And this is like novel. Uh, it means that TREC able to directly suppress myeloid cells, uh, endothelium cells, um, what else? Epithelium cells, like everything, which is kind of unusual and it was novel. Okay, so we proved that we have immunodeficient mice. We provoke um, primary, uh, we make uh, ischemic fusion and provoke primary graft dysfunction. But if we inject TREC, in that case, this process uh, shut down and there is no much information. But at the same time, if we treat TREC with Altin and inject in the same amount with the same mice, there is a, uh, they are unable to control uh, inflammatory event, post ischemic inflammatory event. So that was the first set of experiments. Ideally, it would be good to have this experiment on obese mice, the most direct uh, uh, clinical uh, as uh, association, right? So we have obese mice, non-obese mice perform ischemic perfusion, lung ischemic perfusion, and prove that uh, uh, obese mice really have much, much worse ischemic perfusion event and primary graft dysfunction um, inflammatory uh, stuff. The problem was that obese mice do not survive 
uh, this model at all, just zero. So that's why we use like indirectly through TREC, incubated with ILTIN and then injected into mice. But later on, when we tried to publish this paper, we had critique from reviewers because they wanted to have direct link with obese mice. And they unfortunately didn't want to accept the idea of uh, indirect proof. And we found uh, the solution. Uh, thank you for our very, very talented uh, surgeon. Uh, his name is uh, Liching Wang. And he was able to perform not ischemia reperfusion, but true mouse lung transplant. And in that case, we had three group of mice. Uh, mice with normal weight, obese mice, obese inflammatory mice, and obese mice, they were treated with one dosage of ILTIN binding peptide that's supposed to shut down all effect of ILTIN. So he performed lung transplant. We waited for 24 hours post uh, uh, transplant and pick up lungs, compare the phenotype, and prove our point that yes, in presence of obesity, TIRAC unable to suppress um, inflammatory event uh, that lead to primary gland dysfunction, but if we treat these mice results in binding peptide, we protect mice from uh, severe um, lung inflammation and primary gland dysfunction. Yeah, I thought those experiments were really elegant. You know, in, in many ways, I think for for listeners, it's it's important to hear how you you know how you did that, that you were able to use mice without an adaptive immune response, and show that the Tregs were able to to be protective in that model, and so suggesting an alternative mechanism that it wasn't just sort of uh, suppression of the adaptive immune response. You did all these nice, really sort of gain and loss of function studies in the in the rag, the rag, the, the adaptive immune deficient mice, and that you were able to show that the Tregs were having a role. And I thought that the transplant model, where you were able to actually do transplants in the obese mice and show that they did worse, and then reverse that with the IL-18 binding protein, uh, was was really was really convincing, right? That that this IL-18 was having a role in Treg function, and that Treg functions were having a role in the innate immune response in the context of primary graft dysfunction. Uh, so I, I just commend you. That's a really it's a really nice paper. Um, what do you think are the what do you think are the implications of the findings and and what are the next steps? Well, the implications are, are, are there for uh, patients listed for transplantation. If those patients are obese, it may be warranted to think about looking at them uh, in additional ways to what's no, normally part of the workup. Maybe their serum or their blood could be uh, collected and uh, used to evaluate or test for IL-18 uh, levels or IL-18 uh, binding protein levels. In the paper, Tatiana also shows that concomitant with the impaired Treg function in these patients, or at least a subset of these patients, they have increased uh, activation of their T cells, or the T cells are proliferating more than usual. So you can monitor IL-18, IL-18 binding protein, and maybe uh, a marker of dividing uh, mononuclear cells, like T67, as it's called, as a guide to whether or not these patients might be at increased risks if they have a lung transplant of PGD. So that's the sort of a thing that could lead us into looking further at using this sort of background. And, and down the road, maybe we could even be thinking about whether it's a, a clinical trial might be warranted of violating binding protein, binding protein in those patients at the time of transplantation as a way to try and uh, prevent a development of PGD or certainly decrease it. Yeah, that, that, that's, really, that's really exciting. It's, it's, it's as if you know, you've opened up this whole new avenue of translational investigation 
uh, through work that started in the mouse, but that you uh, two continued on uh, and investigated in human samples as well. So again, I wanted to congratulate you on a really nice paper. Can, can I add, there are other conditions, lung conditions, which have also uh, clinical reports, sometimes somewhat anecdotal, of decreased Treg numbers. Um, and in those, those conditions, uh, these might also be worth looking at uh, further. Uh, people have reported uh, decreased Treg numbers in uh, association with a lung injury after cardiopulmonary bypass even in pulmonary artery hypertension. So there are other lung conditions where it may also be worth, worth looking into this, uh, the role of Tregs in the pathogenesis of some of those diseases and how their dysfunction may be contributing. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great idea. I think there was also recently a report about giving Tregs to patients with COVID ARDS. Uh, and so another, another uh, avenue of investigation, uh, specifically your IL-18 pathway. And do you know that there were also papers showing that more severe uh, patient uh, with COVID, they have uh, increased IL-18 levels. And they have impairments of T-reg function as well. You know, for listeners at home, you know, it's worth reading the paper, not just for the implications of the paper, but also the way that you got to your answer and through the experimental design and the, and the really nice models that you used. So, um, uh, any other parting words for our audience or anything else you want to talk about? I think it's, I think it's very important to recognize the role of our collaborators at, at Penn, um, Indiana School of Medicine, Columbia, who provided patient samples, and our own uh, research group um, and our surgical group, um, the Lung Transplant uh, Outcomes Group, LTOG, uh, founded, I think, by Jason Christie, and uh, that's been essential for advances in the whole PGD field. And then the other key, key point, of course, is the role of uh, uh, Tatiana in all this. And what she's done is introduced some very elegant techniques into the, the methods here in a way that uh, hasn't been done before. The RNA by flow studies she's done, the protein uh, estimations by TACMAN, allowing her to work with very small amounts of protein and do analysis of process translational modifications developing statistical methods for dealing with patient samples where the proportions of Tregs can vary after isolation, but working on how to standardize all that. And then even like in figure three, the lovely graphics. So an incredible amount of work over many years uh, is really the basis for this sort of uh, effort, a tour de force. I will add uh, one more important stuff that uh, if somebody interested to work with obesity, and especially not obesity in transplant, but just obesity. Uh, we are open for collaboration. I'm sure people will reach out. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank you. Well, thank sure. you very much for joining us and look forward to reading more of your work to come. To read the article discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you're downloading your podcasts. And if you liked this episode, we'd love it if you let us know by leaving a review. Thanks for listening and have a great day.